The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 14. So we're following Jesus. He's been arrested, and now he's going to be dragged before the Sanhedrin, and then he's going to be taken before Pilate, and we're making our way to the cross. So get your Bibles, and let's bow our heads, and let's pray for God to speak to us. Gracious Heavenly Father, I, I pray for all who are with us. I thank you for all who have been with us for a while. I welcome those who are new. I also want to welcome the new brothers and sisters, new believers who maybe just recently have opened their heart to you or have recommitted their lives to you. And Lord, we want to hear a word from the Lord. We want to hear your spirit speak to us. It's more than just a Bible study and information. But Lord, it is a message by and from the heart of our Father in heaven. And may we hear what you are saying to the church. Give us ears to hear. And may we hear that personal word, Lord, something that it's going to be beyond what I say or what we read or what is shared today, but is a still, small voice that will be so powerful and it will be so sharp and it will be so prophetic and so profound, that they will know that God has seen their situation, he's heard their cry, and that you are speaking to them today. May it be so. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, so we're going to, you know, we've got just a few life lessons. And so the first one, the trial of Jesus was illegal according to Jewish law. So Matthew chapter 27, the first couple of verses. So it says, when morning came. So Jesus got arrested in the darkness. By the way, this trial begins at night, in the middle of the night. So now morning comes and all the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. So contrary, I don't know if you have heard this before, but contrary to Jewish law and rabbinical law, they've actually already gone through a couple of stages of trial, accusing Jesus and bringing false witnesses against him during the night. Did you know that that the, the Jewish people said it is illegal for, you know, it doesn't matter who they are, or where they've come from, but in Jewish law, you don't do trials in the night. That speaks of hidden things, darkness. Now, that's where things are hidden. And so it should be brought out in the daytime. So the whole beginning of Jesus' trial, though it had a religious flavor to it and cover for it, in fact, that's why they're meeting now in the morning, they want to have an official Sanhedrin meeting with Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, and elders of the people to justify what they just already did illegally during the night. And this whole way, you know, the, the, the whole thing that is happening and unfolding is unjust in every single way. 
And only when Jesus confessed, when he was asked by the high priest, I adjure you by the living God, are you the Messiah? And Jesus' response was, yes, as you say, I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of Man, the Son of God. And immediately they cried out blasphemy, which, by the way, would be accurate if he actually was not the Messiah, the Son of God. But if he was who he claimed to be, then their charges were false. And that's where we're going to see that God had already prophesied and predicted through the prophets that when this long-awaited Messiah finally came to his own people first, the Jewish people, he would be rejected by his own people, betrayed by his own disciples. Everything about it would be, God is saying, I will be sending my son, the Messiah, and he will be rejected, but he is the one. And so it's following all of these things. Now, what, what do they do? So they get together in the morning and they, they do a little cover Sanhedrin meeting to, to kind of say, okay, yeah, he deserves to die uh, because of he's you know, creating blasphemy, saying that he is equal with God. And now they go, now we need to deliver him to Pilate. Now, why do they have to do that? Because remember, Rome is in their presence and, and they, they are overseeing Israel. Uh, they own Israel. And they control Israel, and therefore the Jewish people did not have the legal right to do any kind of capital punishment. On that level, it was only reserved, it had to be by the Romans. So now this trial is taking this man, and, and of course this is Jesus, who actually is the Messiah, the Son of God. And they want him dead because in their mind it's blasphemous. They don't know that he really is who he claims to be and has the power he claims to have. So they now have to go to Rome to get Rome to kill him. And again, that's what the Bible said. That's what the prophets declared would be happening. So now, verses uh, 3 through 10, we're going to go to the next little uh, point here, life lesson, beginning in verse 3, back to Judas Iscariot. Then Judas, his betrayer, Seeing that he, Jesus, had been condemned. Remember Judas betrayed Jesus? Remember he wanted to still look like a disciple though? Oh, rabbi, rabbi. And he came up, oh, rabbi, and he's kissing, kissing, kissing Jesus. He wanted to appear like I'm still one of your followers. Then they come and arrest him because that was the sign Judas had given. He's still pretending on the outside, oh, no, I'm still one of the disciples. Everything is so cool. But then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And then Judas threw down the pieces of silver in the temple, and he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests took the silver pieces, and they said, Oh, here, we got the money back that, you know, that we gave that guy to betray Jesus of Nazareth, but it's not lawful to put them into the treasury. We can't put them into the offering with all the other worship money and so forth because they are the price of blood. So they're trying to be holy about this blood money. And they consulted together and they brought with, or they bought with them the potter's field. 
to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. So it's a field that was purchased with that 30 pieces of silver, and those who were foreigners or strangers or poor and they didn't have money to be buried, that's where they would bury those people. But then look what Matthew says in verse 9, then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver at the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So what I want you to notice here is we see the end of this betrayer, Judas Iscariot, is there is an important difference between remorse and repentance. Again, in going back and looking at verses 3 through 5, as you're looking at that, that part of it, Judas watched Jesus being carried away, bound to Pilate, and I think that all of a sudden, you know, I don't know what Judas was thinking. None of the gospel writers tell us what was in his mind, but, but we can tell how he responds and how he reacts, maybe what was going on. The enormity, maybe he thought that Jesus would use his supernatural powers in some way and become in some way a Messiah that Judas thought he should be. But all of a sudden, when he saw Jesus bound, and he's not using, I mean, he's seen Jesus rebuke wind, waves, demons, sickness, death. There was nothing that Jesus couldn't do. And now all of a sudden, he's bound, and he's being dragged away. He's just had his head beaten. They put, last week, we saw a sack over his head, started punching him, and he's swollen and bloody and bound and being carried away now to the Gentiles and to Pilate, and the enormity of what Judas had done and his betrayal began to dawn on him, and he realized Jesus is not going to do anything to stop this. He's actually going to die, and it's all because of me. Now, I want to just say this about Judas. Uh, No man in the history of the human race could be more evil than Judas Iscariot. There were only 11 other men in history, in all of human history, who had the ability to live with Jesus, walk with Jesus, be taught by Jesus, witness Jesus' words, his love, his affection, uh, and, and to have a relationship with him for over three years, a relationship with God incarnate. No other human being has been exposed firsthand to God's perfection, God's perfect truth by teaching as well as by action. I mean, think of this. Jesus never sinned. He never violated any one of God's laws. He fulfilled everything, not only the law and not only the letter of the law, but he fulfilled the spirit of the law with the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and compassion and power and grace and tenderness. And yet, as we look at Judas, during those three plus years, I mean, he was with God, incarnate in human flesh. And yet in all that time, Judas never even took the first step toward relationship or toward faith or trust 
and Jesus Christ. So I want you to notice very carefully the word that is used by Matthew in uh, Matthew chapter 27, verse 3. It says, Judas, then Judas his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful. The word used here, remorse, is not the same word as repent. Because you remember, Peter denied the Lord. He did it three times. <laughs> and he did it in a horrible way. But Peter repented. He, and the word repent means change your mind. It's to change your heart. Uh, it, it's not only that you realize what you did is wrong, but in relationship, Peter wanted to restore a relationship with Jesus, to be forgiven, to be given an opportunity to continue to know him and love him and follow him, which Jesus gave to him. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter was healed by Jesus, giving him three opportunities to kind of unwind, to repent of his three denials. But Judas never said anything to Jesus. He never went to Jesus. He never talked about Jesus. And, and what it means is that he was so wrapped up in himself. The idea is repentance means you would change your mind. What, what Judas, by being remorseful, it means he felt awful about what had happened to Jesus, but if given the same circumstances, he would have still done it again. And he would have felt really, 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 really bad and awful about it, but he still would have done it. He hadn't been changed. He hadn't really been turned out from being so inward focused. His eyes were not on the Lord. Instead of looking to Jesus for forgiveness, and trusting in his death. Judas, in his perverted mind, may have believed that somehow I'm so bad and I can't even look at Jesus, I'm just going to go over and take my own life. Somehow that maybe will take away my sin and my shame. Now the proof that Judas' sorrow was ungodly and selfish is made in the fact that he made no effort to defend Jesus no, he's not. No, he's not who you say or what you think. I believe in him. Or to rescue Jesus. He had no desire to vindicate Jesus. He didn't even go to Jesus. He didn't even think of Jesus or say anything to Jesus. All he wanted to do was, I'm going to take my life to end all of this guilt and shame that I feel. Now in verse 4, here's what Judas said, though. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. So like the religious leaders, they couldn't really find anything wrong with Jesus. They had to, you know, kind of create their own thing to bring accusation. And all they could say is blasphemy, which again, if he is who he claimed to be, is not blasphemy, but in fact, he is the son of God. The Roman political leaders, they also reviled and rejected Jesus. The false witnesses. And now Judas could find no fault in him. Pilate He's going to say, I find no fault in him. Herod can't find any fault in him. Nobody can find any fault in him. And then in verse 5, so, you know, he comes to them. He goes, no, you guys, don't do this. I've sinned in, by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And then verse 5, then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. 
Now, I want to take a moment because as I was preparing this and, you know, saying, Lord, what are you, you know, what, what do you want me to share, you know, about this Judas character who is pretending on the outside to be one way, but who is totally different on the inside? And then where Judas makes this decision, all he can see is himself, and the only way I can get rid of my shame and guilt is to take my life. Now, look, right now, I realize, you know, and I want to speak to all of you right now as, as my brothers and as my sisters. There is, at this very moment in our country, let alone world, but there is incredible, unbelievable spiritual warfare going on. And the enemy, you know, Peter, who is the very one who also denied Jesus, but then because he loved Jesus and had relationship with Jesus and was forgiven by Jesus and restored by Jesus, and in fact, God used Peter as a mighty, he was one of the founders and apostles of the church. He's one of the inner three, Peter, James, and John. So Peter writes this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. So there are similarities between Peter and Judas, but their eternal destinies went in opposite directions. Judas to eternal darkness, hell, and separation from God and light. Peter to forgiveness, restoration, healing, usefulness, uh, used mightily by God in the early church. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter wrote this, be sober, be sober-minded and be alert, for the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you know the enemy set Judas up the whole way along, I could use this guy. I'm going to plant seeds in this guy. I'm going to cut him off from relationship with Jesus and just do your own thing, Judas. Take care of yourself. You be the treasurer. You make sure you got what you need financially. It's all about you. You can be your own God. That's Satan's lie. So he set Judas up and then he condemned him. How dare you? Even you have said, he's innocent. I betrayed innocent blood. And the devil was there, and Judas left alone, and all he's got is now the, the devil and his philosophy. He takes his own life. And I have been hearing, and I'm sure some of you have heard, there are uh, some who have known the Lord and, and are walking with the Lord, or they've been in ministry, and they're, you hear about and they're taking their lives. Not only is there the virus, and there's people that are dying, and then there's, there's even lots of other things that are going on in our entire country and with health issues, but other people that are having lots of problems, they're being attacked. I think there's a spiritual battle going on. And there are even those who have walked with the Lord or known the Lord, and they're saying, oh, I, the only way out of this, my shame and my guilt for whatever sin, you know, like Peter, and the enemy sets them up and, and makes the pressure seem so great. And the shame so heavy that the only way out is to take your life. I, I, so in the name of Jesus, as I was praying about this, I want to recognize that suicidal spirit is the devil. It's not you. The enemy wants to kill you. He wants, he's a murderer from the beginning. By the way, I want to tell you something that's actually true. The devil cannot kill you. 
He cannot take a gun and shoot you. He cannot take your life, but he can lie to you. He can tempt you into sin, and then he can shame you and guilt you and make you do what only you can do, take yourself out. So I want us to agree together to, re- to resist the blood of Jesus upon the body, the blood of Jesus upon the family of God. And for those who, you know, you're struggling or, you, you know, you have sins or you have things in your past or whatever, do not let shame take you out. Jesus died on the cross and he took our shame. And guess what? It didn't, it didn't stay on him. Jesus absorbed all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our failures, all of our sins. Yes, he absorbed all of it, but guess what? He paid for it. And when he died, it's done. It's over. The shame disappeared. The guilt has been rubbed out. The the sins have been removed. The blood of Jesus is pure and holy and righteous, and he lives forever. And if you're his child, he's with you. And he says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. So right now, I want you to agree with me. In fact, let's just bow your head for a second. Let's just take a moment and pray. Father, we want to come before you in the name of Jesus against the spirit of the enemy, the spirit of the devil. He's a liar. He's an accuser. And Lord, I just feel stirred that there are some people that are under so much shame or guilt or stress or fear, and the enemy is trying to get them to take themselves out as a way of escape. And it is not the way. It is not you. It is not of your spirit. I plead, we beg now for the blood of Jesus to be upon them. Deliver them, O Lord. May the fear of God come against every demonic, lying, accusing spirit in the mighty, powerful, and precious name of Jesus. And may we be delivered from that. Lord, you have not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind in Jesus' name. And I want to say one more thing about that. There are some of you that, okay, so you're, you're living and you're going through, but you have shame in your past and you still live in the shadow of it. If you're living that way, it can shrink you, it can compress you, it can be a heavy weight and a burden on you. You are not meant to live as a child of God with the shadow of shame from your past. This is a challenge to you from your pastor to take the word of God seriously that the blood of Jesus, it's gone. He took it and he's, he's, it's, he's not, he doesn't have it anymore and you're in him and he's in you and you don't have to live with that shame anymore. You are free, free in the spirit. I want you to look at uh, verse 11 real quick. Let's go back to the scripture here. So after the field of blood, oh, I wanted to mention one thing in uh, verse 9 where it says this was fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And some people jump in and they go, well, wait a second, that actual prophecy was by the prophet Zechariah. It's not Jeremiah. Ha, ha, ha. There's a mistake in the Bible. So the Bible's not really the word of God. Okay, so let me share with you uh, a new understanding. No, it's not a mistake. Uh, It it is not some kind of error that the translators made or make us lose faith in the Word of God. And from a Jewish perspective, they have what are called the law, 
then they have the writings, and then they have the prophets. And so they've divided the entire Old Testament up into three different sections. So what I want to share with you is the prophetic section, uh, is, which has got you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all that, all the way to the end of Malachi, was called the Jeremiah section. It's just the name for all of the prophets. So Zechariah is included in Jeremiah, and if you were Jewish, and most of Messianic believers already know this, they're not bothered by this, but you know, here we are in America, and we're going, hey, that's in Zechariah, it's not Jeremiah, oh, it's a mistake, I can't trust the Bible. Well, you need to learn and understand more. The more that we learn and understand our Jewish roots, and that's where, you know, Jesus was Jewish. And the Bible needs to be understood in its context, in its language, and within its culture and understanding. So there is no problem with that. And, uh, and then talking about it, the 30 pieces of silver, the value, that's the, in the Old Testament, in the law, that was the value of a slave. That's how they valued Jesus. That's all they valued him. But how interesting that even the 30 pieces of silver, because it couldn't go into the treasury, is used to buy a field, a potter's field, that strangers and aliens and the poor are able to be buried in. Again, everything that touches Jesus, I was going to say turns to gold, but it can also turn to silver. I mean, it literally, it is blessed and anointed and mighty and used by God. Well, look with me uh, in verse 11. Well, we're going to just wrap this up in the next few verses very quickly here, but here's the question we must all answer. Are you the king of the Jews? Now Jesus stood before the governor. This is a man named Pontius Pilate. And the governor asked him, Jesus, saying, are you the king of the Jews? Now Pilate, he's a Gentile, Roman guy. His, you know, he was given a tough job to be the Roman uh, governor, and you're overseeing Israel and the Jewish people, just as Israel has a lot of uh, controversy today, it had a lot of controversy 2,000 years ago, and there were constant rebellions, times when the Jewish people would revolt and they would rebel, and even though they were small, they were mighty and they were powerful, and the whole story of the Maccabees, and they would overthrow their enemies even though they were outnumbered, and so a kingdom and a king could be a threat but Pilate is trying to figure this. He goes, I kind of got a feeling you're like a religious guy and it's into their, your religious deals. And, but they say you are a king. Are you a threat? But here he asks, are you the king of the Jews? And I want to just take a moment and say an answer to this. <laughs> Jesus Christ makes a claim on every human heart. And listen, someday you're going to have to answer that question. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Who do you say that he is? doesn't matter what I say or somebody else says or your parents or your brother or your sister. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And every human heart must decide, what are you going to do with Jesus? Now, the Bible declares that Jesus is fully God. And it was divinely predicted that he would be called Emmanuel. Do you know what that name means? God with us. That is the name prophetically given to the Messiah and given to Jesus. God with us. 
He was called by many divine names, such as the Holy One, the Righteous One. And then as Jesus began to, you know, share for three and a half years, he demonstrated an intimacy and relationship with his Father. Jesus could not stop talking about his dad, God the Father. And Jesus said, my Father, to know me is to know my Father. To believe in me is to believe in my Father because my Father sent me. If you have seen me, Jesus said, you have seen the Father. <laughs> he is bringing himself equal with Almighty God. And so the Bible goes on to proclaim Jesus is omnipotent. He has all power. And it says it explicitly after his resurrection from the dead, when he conquered sin and conquered death, all authority and all power in heaven and on earth have been given to him. God is omnipotent. Jesus has that omnipotence. He is omnipresent. Jesus said, wherever you are in the world at any time, I am there with you in the midst. Jesus, like God, is changeless. Hebrews 13, 8 tells us he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Just like God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. More than that, he is the creator of the world, and by him everything that was made was made, so that there is nothing that has been created that was not made by him. In him and through him, all things consist and are held together. He has the ability to do what only God can do with sin. If you confess your sin, God forgives you. Jesus says, yes, I know, I forgive you. And that's why people got so riled up 2,000 years. Wait a second, what are you doing? Those are sins committed against God. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. And he's forgiven. I forgive him. And to be worshipped, Jesus, to be worshipped, we're to only worship God. But look at this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. This is what it says. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Old Testament gave specific details about this coming Savior King. He would be supernaturally conceived of a virgin. He would be born in the little village of Bethlehem. He would come from the people of Abraham. He would also come through the family of David, the man after God's own heart. He would specifically be from the tribe of Judah. And Isaiah 35 said that he would perform miracles, that the lame would leap like the deer, and the tongue of the mute not only would speak, but they would sing. They would give praise and glory to God who had touched them and healed them. 
It also goes on to prophesy that when this Messiah comes, he'll be rejected by his own people, executed by the rulers, forsaken by God as he takes the sins of the world, betrayed by one of his own friends. For 30 pieces of silver, his beard would be plucked out, which was the story we just saw before this one. He would be spit upon, and that in his resurrection, he would conquer it all and rise on the third day, conquering death forever and ever and ever. Jesus Christ is the dominant figure in all of human history. What will you do with Jesus Christ? Who is he to you? And so we close today with the last few verses of the story as we continue on, verses 12 through 14, because he asked, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, it is as you say. I love that. (laughs) You said it. You know, the Bible says that if you will confess Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So when Jesus says, you just said it with your mouth, it's almost like Jesus saying, you're halfway there. You said the words, if you would just believe what you just said, salvation can come to you. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and the elders, he answered nothing. Jesus answered not a word. He didn't defend himself. And then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word, so that the governor marveled greatly. We find from another gospel that Pilate was kind of disappointed in his meeting with Jesus. He'd heard a lot of stories about this man. I'm sure all of Rome you know, was hearing about this and especially being the governor there and he'd heard of the miracles and the people and I don't know what stories, teachings, miracles he'd heard, but he was kind of like, wow, I get to see that guy. Hey, I wonder if he'll perform something or do something. And he was disappointed that Jesus didn't really talk to him. And then he finally just stopped talking to him and he didn't do any miracles or anything. He answered not a word. And there's times when we're not to say a word to defend ourselves. Jesus had come to defend his Father, and he came to do the will of his Father. This scripture, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, also prophesies what we just read in the scriptures of Matthew. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. There came a point where Jesus didn't say anything anymore because he was moving now into taking your place and my place and we were guilty. And so now Jesus is entering into that where he will be lifted up on the cross and he who knew no sin would be made sin on our behalf that we might be and experience the righteousness of God. All these accusations hurled against him, and he answered not one word. But Jesus did not come to defend himself. He was coming to do the will of the Father, and thank God, though nobody understood it, nobody comprehended it, even though it was all there, over 300 specific prophecies all converged in one three-and-a-half-year period period of life and ministry. But then he was gone. And then on the third day, he rose. And the very ones who ran away into the night, into the darkness, in the garden of Gethsemane, and were afraid, 
he appeared to them and he said, here I am. I'm going to prove you it's me, the same guy you saw nailed to the cross. Give me something to eat. And he ate food in front of them. Put your finger in my hands. Put your hand into my side. Do not be faithless anymore, but believe. And they fell to their knees like Thomas and said, oh, my Lord and my God. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.